Last week, we had 36 people make a spiritual decision to say yes to Jesus and to begin a relationship with Jesus for the very first time. Um, and that's a really big deal. That doesn't happen every week here. It doesn't happen every week anywhere. Um, and that means that we are slowly beginning to accomplish what God is trying to call us to do, to see people far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. It's our goal every Sunday that someone is here who, who doesn't know God, who doesn't know about God, who wouldn't consider themselves close to God, and through the ministry of this church, through the ministry of this people, that they would not only know God, but that they become passionate in their faith, and through becoming passionate in their faith, that they might begin to impact the world that they live in, and that's happening. Today, after this service, we'll baptize 10 people who will share their story of kind of their spiritual journey of what God has done in their life, what God's doing in their life right now, and what they hope to become spiritually. I'm so excited to do that um, because it's what we set out five years ago to do, not just to have an impact on people, but on communities, on cities, and around the world. Um, And we're doing that. We do ministry all over the world. We have ministry partners all over the world. The last five years, I've spent about two months of my life with ministry teams in Israel. We have two ministry partners in Israel that we partner with and do ministry with there to to plant churches, um, to to work in homeless shelters, to have food banks, um, to minister to single moms in the Haifa area, which is a city in northwest Israel. Uh, And out of everything that I've seen in Israel, and there is There's so much cool to see in Israel if you know the Bible um, and if you like history. But one of the coolest experiences I've ever had um, in Israel was not seeing um, any monument or building or even really any spiritual place. We were driving one day from the Sea of Galilee in northern Israel down to the Dead Sea in in southern Israel. And we passed a Bedouin camp, um, which are basically, you know, kind of desert dwellers. And I looked out and I saw a shepherd like a real life shepherd, but he looked exactly like the little kid shepherds like we have in our, in our plays. If you've ever seen a Christmas play, like I thought either, like either I have been transported back 2000 years in time or they are doing a Christmas play right now because there was a guy standing out there with a cane, um, by a donkey with like a headband on with like the thing going down his back in a robe. And there was a big like herd of sheep, flock of sheep that were out there. And I literally to our whole van, I said, look, there is like a biblical shepherd right there standing in the desert watching his sheep. And for me, it was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen because I felt like I was transported back to the Bible times. I would have gotten out and taken a picture except we were in the West Bank and the U.S. State Department when you go to Israel, like they send you stuff like, hey, if you get out in the West Bank, um, like you could be killed. So I didn't stop and take a picture, but I took this mental picture of this shepherd that looked like it was right from the pages of Scripture. Why? Because of how important it is in the story of Christmas. You know, one of the most important lessons for a Christian to learn at Christmas is the story of the shepherds. In the last two weeks, as we've looked into the biblical narrative of Christmas, we've been trying to meet people and we've been trying to study places that that don't just tell us about the holiday, but that tell us about the spiritual significance of the moment. Two weeks ago, we met King Herod. And we looked in our lives and we said, King Herod, the little King Herod represents the areas in our life that, that we're afraid to give control to Jesus. Um, to. The little King Herod represents the boundaries we've set in our life where we said, Jesus, you can have this part of me, but don't cross this line. Herod was fine with Jesus being a spiritual king, but he was threatened by the thought that he could have any control in his life. And there are Christians who at Christmas, they celebrate Jesus spiritually, 
but they don't, they haven't given control of every area of their life and their future to Jesus yet. And that scares them to death to even think about doing it. Last week we met the Magi, these, these kingmakers who traveled from Persia, modern day Iran, all the way to Bethlehem so that they could give gifts to Jesus. And we, with the Magi, we looked at this question, what do we owe God? I mean, they came 500 miles to give him gifts because they felt like they owed him his life. What do we owe God? What do you owe God? Is that a threatening question for me? What do you mean? What do you owe God? Yes. What do you owe God? We saw the Magi owed God their lives and the Magi helped us answer questions like, how big do we see Jesus? Is Jesus just something we see in the Bible or at church? Is he something we see in every star, in every encounter? Is Jesus something that's bigger than just spiritual Jesus? And today we kind of do the exact opposite. We've looked at pretty powerful people the last two weeks, kings, kingmakers, political activists in the Magi and Herod. Um, today we look at shepherds. We look at people who had very little influence in their world, but they're in this Bible story because Luke wants to introduce them to us. So I want to invite you today to open your Bible to Luke chapter 2, reach in your bulletin, pull out your sermon notes so you can follow along. If you don't have a Bible, you can fire up your Journey Church app or download that. That'll have all the scripture, all the notes built right into your tablet or your phone. Everything will be on the screen behind me as you follow along. But today we move from the most important socially characters of Christmas, kings and kingmakers, to the least important, just some shepherds hanging out in the field at night, and we're introduced to them by Luke in Luke chapter 2, and here is his Christmas narrative. I'm going to read verses 1 through 20. It says, in those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to him, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You're going to find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared to the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go check it out. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorified and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Now listen, to understand this text today, to understand this not just as spiritual history, but as a part of your spiritual future, I've got to help set this text up a little bit. As we look at the setup, here's what you need to know. You have to understand a little bit about angels, and you have to understand a little bit about Luke to grasp today's message. I mean, for today's message to hit your heart instead of your mind, I've got to set it up. 
for today's message to be applied to your life instead of just put into your memory, I've got to set it up. For today's message to mean something to you today instead of being just a, a history lesson about yesterday, I've got to teach you about angels in Luke because when these two things are put together, you realize there's something more than meets the eye to Luke chapter 2. Now, angels are very apparent at Christmas. Um, angels at Christmas were the messengers of the Messiah to Zechariah, who was John the Baptist's father. They came and told John the Baptist's father, uh, you and your wife who have not been able to have children are going to have a son, and here's going to be your son's role. John the Baptist would play a massively important role one day in the future ministry of Jesus. You can see why the angels spoke to him, because we can't, we can't really mess that one up. Um, angels at Christmas were the messengers of the Messiah to Mary, Jesus' mother. Enough said, she's a pretty important part of the story. It's important that God... Um, couldn't have her misunderstand what was going on. So an angel told her directly, here's what's happening. Angels at Christmas were the messengers of the Messiah to Joseph, who was Jesus' father, three different times. Once to, to learn how to protect his wife. Once to learn how to protect his son. A third time to learn how to lead his family. Angels came to him and kind of stepped into the story because Joseph had to get his part right for Jesus to be who Jesus was going to become. But angels at Christmas as the messengers of the Messiah to the shepherds? It's like, why? We don't see them anywhere else in the future of Jesus. We don't see them in his ministry we don't see that they play a pivotal role in the church. Why, why would God send angels to the shepherds? And why, why does it even matter to us? Well, because it mattered to Luke. And the book of Luke is unique among all the books in the Bible. You know the book of Luke is the only spiritual biography of Jesus to be written by a Gentile to other Gentiles? You say, what's a Gentile? No, not a Gentile, a, a Gentile. A Gentile is basically anyone who's not Jewish. So if you're in here today and you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. And the book of Luke is the only story of the life of Jesus, there were four of them written, to be written by somebody who wasn't Jewish to people who weren't Jewish. Matthew wrote a spiritual biography of Jesus' life, but Matthew was written by a Jewish disciple to a Jewish audience to prove that Jesus was the promised Messiah of the Hebrew Scriptures. Matthew's book basically said something like this, go read the Old Testament and I can prove to you that Jesus is the Messiah. Mark wrote a spiritual biography of Jesus, but Mark was written by a Jewish apprentice of the apostle Peter. He hung out with Peter, he heard his story over and over, and he thought, I'm going to write down Peter's story um, so that he could tell the Jewish believers in, or the, the believers in Rome, here's everything that Peter said. So again, you're telling spiritual people spiritual things to kind of reinforce their belief. John wrote a spiritual biography of Jesus, but John was written by a Jewish disciple to tell the established church intimate details about his time with Jesus. You're following Jesus. Here's how you can know him a little better. Luke was different. And Luke was the only one of these four to write about the life of Jesus to tell us about the announcement to the shepherds. Why? Why, why did Luke tell us? Why is it important to Luke? Why didn't the rest of them tell us? I believe Luke told us because he learned that it happened. And for him, it meant something very special to him that we should know. You see, Luke's gospel is different because Luke's gospel was written kind of as a treasure hunt by somebody hoping to find out more about Jesus. Flip over to Luke chapter 1, if you would. Luke is the only one to introduce his story of the life of Jesus in this way where he basically said, I want you to know exactly why I'm writing this and what it means to me so that it can mean the same thing to you. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 1. I'm just going to read four verses so you can know Luke's heart in writing anything he wrote. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, 
just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Luke says, listen, here's why I wrote this book. I heard about Jesus, and I wanted to find out a little more for myself. And after I find out, found out a little more for myself, I decided to write it down because Theophilus is his friend, because Theophilus, I've been telling you about Jesus, but I want you to be able to have some of your hard questions answered. I want you to know a little more than what you've heard too. Aren't you glad we have a friend like Luke? I mean, I want you to think about Luke for a minute. And let me ask you this question. How much money would you pay? How much vacation time would you take if there was someone alive right now who had met and spent time with Jesus as an eyewitness, what would you give to spend an hour with him? If you could go talk to someone who personally knew Jesus, what would you give to spend time with them? So my faith is so strong, I don't need to do that. You know what? I would love to do that. It would make my faith stronger if I could meet someone who met Jesus. And that's what Luke is saying. Luke said, I wrote this book so that you could understand when I heard about Jesus and had questions, I tried to find all the answers. And I thought you would want to hear the answers that I found and the people that I talked to. So I want you to know, I interviewed eyewitnesses so they could help me understand things about Jesus. Luke, more than anyone else, doesn't tell us what Mary said or did. He tells us what she thought. How would he know what Mary thought? Well, he had to talk to her. It's the only way Luke could have known what Mary was thinking at a particular time. Scholars believe that Luke spent time with Mary and said, what was it like on that night? She said, you know, I just, all these things were happening and I just kind of kept them on the inside. How could he have known that unless she told him? So Luke is this great historian who's done some hard work for you and I because Luke was a spiritual outsider who's told about Jesus. He'd never met Jesus. Matthew met Jesus. Mark met Jesus. John met Jesus. Luke never met Jesus. He was a spiritual outsider who was told about Jesus, so he chose to tell others like him that they were invited to Jesus too. Luke had never met Jesus, but he had met people who met Jesus. He had a friend named Paul who for two years was in prison in Israel in a place called Caesarea. It's a region right along the Mediterranean Sea that's just a beautiful place to visit. And we know that Luke spent two years with Paul while he was in prison. And you know what historians tell us Luke did? While Paul was in prison, he traveled Israel trying to find people who personally knew Jesus to ask his questions and to get the facts about stories that he's heard. What an incredible two-year journey that must have been. And at some point, he had to stumble into Bethlehem and onto these shepherds who just 30 or 40 years earlier, either they or their dads or their grandpas had been a part of this experience. And when they told Luke, I think Luke thought, this is so incredible. The whole world needs to know what happened. I believe these shepherds reminded Luke of himself. You know, the first time we see Luke in scripture, he's in a dream. In Acts chapter 16, verse nine, the apostle Paul is is a guy who's starting churches all over the Middle East. He's getting ready to go to a city um, and he's gonna pass by a a country called Macedonia to go to this city. Uh, And in Acts 16, nine, it says he had a dream and it says, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. You know, Bible scholars tell us that they believe this was Luke. Luke, who had spent a good portion of his life trying to figure out if there was more to life than what he knew. 
Luke, who, who believed that there was a God, but he didn't know him personally. Luke, who maybe had spent time on his knees saying, God, if you're real, please help me understand your plan for my life. It, scholars tell us that Luke had such a burden to know Jesus that God basically told Paul, go tell this guy because he's going to die if he can't figure it out. And I think Luke looked at himself and thought, man, if somebody hadn't come to tell me, I would have never known. And he looked at these shepherds and thought, man, if somebody hadn't told them about Jesus, they would have never known. And thought, man, we are the exact same. It took a divine intervention for somebody to tell us about Jesus. So I'm going to write them into my story because they are so important. And it begs us to ask this key Christmas question. Who in your life needs to hear that a Savior has been born and they can meet him in their town? Like that's the spiritual application of Luke chapter 2. Who in your life needs to be told that a Savior has been born and they can meet him in their town? That's the question I want you to think about as we get ready to walk the next seven days towards Christmas. What could Luke have seen in these shepherds that reminded him of himself as he talked with them? What could Luke have seen in these shepherds that God knew could remind us of somebody in our lives that he would preserve this story for 2,000 years? Let me give you a couple things that I think our attention is being pointed towards. First, as we look at the shepherds, we see that the shepherds are just busy living their lives, meeting the needs of others. I mean, they're just doing their thing. The Bible says as they were watching their flocks by night, they're just doing their job. You know, like Luke, Luke was a doctor. Luke lived his life to help people. Luke lived his life to meet other needs. The shepherds were living their lives just making sure the needs of everyone were taken care of. You know, shepherds were always paid to take care of somebody else's sheep. I mean, if you had a sheep, you might watch it yourself. If you had two, you might watch it yourself. But if you had an entire flock of sheep, you would pay someone to watch them for you. Shepherds never owned their own sheep. Didn't mean their jobs weren't important, though. By watching a flock of sheep, they were making sure families were being provided for because the currency of the day a lot of time was livestock. By watching someone else's sheep, they were keeping people fed because they would buy and sell sheep not only to eat, but families would raise them so that their families could be fed. By watching someone else's sheep, they were busy helping people stay warm and make money because they would shave the sheep and they would sell the wool and make most of the clothing of the day from Israel came from sheep. But the shepherd's busyness in providing for others gave them no time for their own spiritual connection. Because in those days to connect to God, you had to go through a lot of kind of ceremony, a lot of, a lot of religious um, ceremony to get to the temple. To connect to God, you would have to ceremonially cleanse yourself. To connect to God, you would have to actually go to the temple, inside the temple. To connect to God, you'd have to offer a sacrifice or give an offering. To connect to God, you'd have to connect to a priest. And if you were a farmer who spent time watching sheep, you were never ceremonially clean. And listen, it was just inconvenient. It just took too much time too many days off, too many down hours to get cleaned up, to change your clothes, to go to the temple, to do all the stuff. It's not that they didn't want to connect to God, but they were so busy taking care of everyone else's stuff, they just really didn't have time to connect to God. Let me ask you a question. Does that sound like you? Are you so busy making sure the needs of others are being met that you've gone an entire year and you've not personally connected to God? Are you so busy working to build someone else's bottom line at your business 
that you're really, you're doing good meeting someone else's needs, but there's no spiritual connection? Are you working so hard to provide for your wife and your kids or for your spouse and your children? Um, are you working so hard to be a good neighbor, a good member of the community that your, your whole life is spent meeting others' needs, but it's taken so much time, you've got no time for spiritual connection? Because if so, that's who the shepherds were. Do you know that the flocks of Bethlehem supplied the temple with the, the sheep of the daily sacrifice? The flocks that supplied the temple were kept at Bethlehem, five miles from Jerusalem, which meant that every day, twice a day, a shepherd would take a sheep from Bethlehem to the temple and he would drop it off so that the high priest could sacrifice that sheep so that the people of Israel could stay connected to God. That meant that these shepherds, if they were watching these sheep, literally drove by the church that could connect them to God. They drove by it every day and never even noticed it because they were so busy just doing their jobs. And man, it reminds me of a lot of people in our community. You know, I'm gonna start the year this year uh, teaching through a series called Mood Swingers. And here's the question we're asking as we move into 2017. Are you sick of riding life's emotional roller coaster? Sick of being up one moment, down one moment? You sick of letting everyone else's life kind of impact your emotions? Are you tired of the most important things in your life being left till last? Are you tired of getting through another year and thinking, man, you know, I forgot to do that again. Another year has gone by and I didn't focus on the few key things in life. Say, why is that? Because you're busy. On January 15th, I'm going to open this series with a message called Life Without Limits. And I'm going to talk about how when we don't put first things first, when we don't put boundaries to protect the first things first, we never get to them. You know, when I look at the shepherds and when I look at people that I just know from doing ministry, the vast majority of people in our lives who are disconnected spiritually, they're disconnected because of the pace of their lives, not their spiritual past, not their spiritual perspective. They haven't had bad, some bad experience that keeps them away from God. They don't have something in their mind that makes them question God. They've just got so much going on in their life that they don't have time for God. And some of you in here are shepherds. This is the 51st Sunday of 2016. And some of you have yet to personally connect to God this year in a way that's really, really meaningful. Because you're too busy. Some of you are shepherds. And all of us know shepherds. All of us know people that we're watching their life kind of spiral out of control and busyness. And they've not stopped for a second to personally connect to God. And, we're, and you know what we're thinking? We're thinking, man, I wish an angel could come out of heaven and tell them a savior has been born. I wish they could meet Jesus because he would change everything. We're thinking, God, I wish someone would tell them about Jesus. And God's saying, that's funny. I wish someone would tell them about Jesus. How about since you know them, you tell them about Jesus? You see, every shepherd needs an angel. And I believe God's looking for angels among our crowd who will interrupt somebody's busy, busy life and say, hey, 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 just so you know, like a savior has been born and he's right next door if you want to come and hear about him and see him. You see, the shepherds were busy meeting the needs of others. So number two, they almost missed the news. They're in Bethlehem, they're doing their job, but they almost missed the news. You know, Bethlehem biblically is the town of rescue. When you read about Bethlehem in the Bible, you always read about somebody or something being rescued. Bethlehem, we hear for the first time in Scripture as the place where Rachel, the mother of Joseph, was buried. And who is Joseph? Joseph was the person who rescued his family from a famine that would have wiped them all out. 
Joseph lived in Bethlehem, and Joseph was a rescuer of people who needed help. Next time we hear about Bethlehem in Scripture, we we read a story about a man named Boaz who was a a wealthy landowner who had never been married and how he came to the rescue of a young widow named Ruth who had lost everything and was just kind of going around the edge of the field trying to gather enough crops to keep her and her mother-in-law in life. When we think about Bethlehem, we think about Boaz, somebody who rescued someone who had a desperate need. When we think about Bethlehem, we think about David, Ruth's great, great grandson who was in Bethlehem one day when his dad said, hey, go check on your brothers and see how they're doing in the war. So David walked that 11 miles from his home in Bethlehem to the Valley of Elah, and he killed a giant named Goliath, and he rescued the people of Israel from his Philistine enemies. We think about Bethlehem, and we think about people being rescued from something that they can't get out from underneath themselves. And then we think about Bethlehem, and we think of Jesus, who came to spiritually rescue the world. You know, Bethlehem was the town that provided the sacrifices for the country of Israel so that they could stay close to God. But in the town that provided for the spiritual sacrifices of the country, God provided the Savior of the world. Like he one-upped what was going on in this place of rescue. But the shepherds would have missed the entire thing if the angels hadn't shown up. What were they doing? Luke 2.8 says they were watching their flocks by night. They're just doing their job. They're living their life. But verse 9 says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified, but the angel said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. You know, without an invitation to visit Jesus, the shepherds wouldn't have known why he was there or even where to find him. He was right next door. He had come to change their lives. But they were unaware of it until someone said, hey, I'm not sure if you're aware of what happened, but like right over there, you can see Jesus if you want to. I believe there are a lot of people in your life and in my life who live the same reality of the shepherds. They are so close to Jesus, but they're not sure that he's there and they don't know that they're open to having an interaction with him. I was in Israel last year with one of our mission teams and we were at the Sea of Galilee waiting to catch our boat to go out on the Sea of Galilee and ride to Capernaum where Jesus kind of based his earthly ministry at and and spent a lot of time with the Apostle Peter and his brother Andrew. It was their hometown. Matthew, it was his hometown. So much great biblical truth in Capernaum. And while we were sitting to catch our boat, you know, Israel runs on tourism. So when you're in Israel, you go to the holy sites and when you're at the holy sites, they sell you stuff, Uh, mostly food. Like there's just... There's better food there than at the hotel, so you don't eat a lot of meals, um, but you eat a lot of ice cream and chips and candy and Cokes and Diet Cokes and all that stuff. So we're, we're sitting at this little cafe, um, and we're eating, waiting on our boat ride to go. And this guy who I've never seen before kind of walks up to me, bumps me by the shoulder. I have no idea why he picked me. Um, and he says, hey, and he tapped me on my shoulder. And I said, yeah. And he said, you like boxing? And I thought... You know, now that's one of the oddest questions I've ever been asked, much less in Israel at the Sea of Galilee. You like boxing? I thought, you know, is he challenging me to a fight? Like, I couldn't understand, like, what is, what, you know, what? Do you like boxing? I was like, well, you know, I, I watch boxing. I'm aware of boxing. I don't, you know, I, yeah, I guess I like boxing. And he says, you know who Manny Pacquiao is? like, yeah, I know who Manny Pacquiao is. He, at the time, was, had just fought Floyd Mayweather Jr. and lost. But, I mean, it, one of the great boxing champions of the last decade. I said, yeah, I know who Manny Pacquiao is. And he said, he's right over there if you want to talk to him. And I turned around and literally sitting two tables over, 
And he'd been sitting there the last 15 minutes was Manny Pacquiao eating an ice cream cone. So I went over um, and just introduced myself, said, hey, told him my name. And I said, I'm a pastor. And I said, you know, ESPN has been uh, sharing recently some, some stories about your life and your faith. And I watched one with my son. Um, and it kind of inspired him that you're a Christian. So kind of thank you for your testimony. We talked a little bit where, he, you know, he was with a group from a church in LA that he went to when he trained in the States and just had a great time of interaction. I was eating my chips. He was eating his ice cream and we just kind of hung out and talked for a minute. And the reality is for 15 minutes, he'd been sitting 10 feet from me, but I didn't know he was there and would have never known why he was there unless somebody bumped me and said, Hey, you like boxing? Did you, did you have any idea that Manny Pacquiao was sitting right over there. You know, there are a lot of people who need what Jesus has. They're interested in what Jesus has. They would love to have an encounter with Jesus. If somebody would say, hey, did you know you can meet Jesus at Christmas? Like, did you know you could have an encounter with the God of the world through Christmas? And it's interesting, when the shepherds were told about Jesus, they went and saw him. And as soon as they saw him, they told everyone else, you know what I did after I got done talking to Manny Pacquiao over chips and ice cream? I went back to our group and said, y'all know who's right over there? And like, who? I was like, it's Manny Pacquiao. And next thing you know, our whole group, because we were the only group of Americans um, kind of there, our whole group's over there taking pictures and talking to Manny Pacquiao. Because when you've been told something that kind of excites you, you tell somebody else. And that's what happened to the shepherds at Christmas. They were so busy, they almost missed the news. But when they finally found out, they became, number three, the first messengers of Christmas. Now, if these were shepherds of the temple flock, they, they had a great, important job spiritually. Their job was to keep the people of Israel symbolically connected to God through the sheep that they would bring back and forth that five-mile trek from Bethlehem to Jerusalem every day. But their job had just become more important because now they weren't talking about a symbolic sheep that could symbolically keep somebody close to God. They had met the Savior of the world who really could connect the world to God. And for some reason, God trusted them with the message to go tell other people, and they did. Look at Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 18. It says, When the angels had left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let, Let's go check it out. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord's told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning the child, would have been told about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. You know, when those who are told about Jesus begin to tell others about Jesus, the kingdom of God grows. Like, that's how it's happened. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever said the Lord's Prayer? Like at a sporting event? At, at some religious class you were in? Have you ever said the Lord's Prayer? If you've ever said the Lord's Prayer, you've prayed this, these words, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. How does God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? Those who are a part of it invite people in. That's how it works. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. How, how does God's kingdom come on earth? Those people who have been told about the kingdom and who are in it, they tell other people and they invite them in. And what's interesting about this Luke chapter 2, Luke doesn't, he doesn't follow the story any further. Like, I want to know, what happened to the shepherds? Did they follow him for the next 30 years? He doesn't say that the people who heard from the shepherds all became Christians and followed Jesus the rest of their life. He just said they were amazed at the news. He said the shepherds went and told, and everyone was amazed at what they heard. Like, 
They were amazed that God would send his son to earth to connect people to him. They were amazed at that news. You know, the only thing that's keeping us from amazing this community with the truth, the real truth of Christmas, is just not inviting people who haven't heard yet. And not everyone who's invited is going to give their life to Jesus right away. Not everyone who's invited is, is even going to believe. Not everyone who's invited will follow. But everyone who's invited, I promise you, will think in amazement that if, if this is really true, man, that changes everything. But the people in the kingdom have to invite the people outside the kingdom to be a part of it. You see, the shepherds are not just the fillers of the Christmas play. The shepherds aren't just in here so that when it, there's no more angel costumes, everyone can be on stage. The shepherds are not just a part of Christmas because you need some parts for people who don't have speaking or singing roles. Like the shepherds are in the Christmas story so Luke can remind us that the only way that outsiders can become insiders is if, is if somebody invites them in. And it leads us back to that key Christmas question this week. Who in your life needs to hear that a Savior was born and that they can meet him in their town? Have you asked that question? Question number two, do you even care? Let me say it again. Do you have anyone in your life who needs to meet Jesus? And do you care? Danielle and I saw a great movie a couple weeks ago called Hacksaw Ridge. I'm not sure if you've seen that movie. If you're into war movies, um, I'd encourage you to go see it. It's really intense, though. Don't take your kids. I mean, it's really intense in the war field battle. But it's the story of Desmond Doss. Desmond Doss was the first conscientious objector who ever received the Medal of Honor for bravery in war. Um, he called himself a conscientious cooperator, not a conscientious objector, because he didn't object to the war. He actually wanted to go to war. He wanted to, uh, he wanted to serve his country. He wanted to be with his brothers who were on the battlefield. He just told him, I can't carry a gun. I can't kill people. Uh, as a young kid, he'd broken up a fight between his, his dad and his uncle when both of them were intoxicated. They had a gun, and he took the gun from his dad and his uncle, and he held the gun at his dad's head, and he nearly shot his dad because he was tired of watching him beat on his mom and beat on him and his brothers and, and beat on his family. And as, as he contemplated that moment in his own words, he said he decided to put down the gun, and he made a pledge to God he would never pick up another gun again. And he committed his life to serve God and to serve other people because of God. And when World War II came, he enlisted and he said, I, I want to go to war, but I can't carry a gun. And they tried to laugh him out of the army, but he wouldn't quit. They tried to kick him out of basic training, but he wouldn't quit. And he ended up on the battlefield without a gun as a medic. He said, let me help people, not hurt people. I just can't carry a gun. And in 1945, he ended up on the island of Okinawa, at a place called Hacksaw Ridge where the Allied forces were trying to take ground so that they could finally end this terrible war. And he found himself on top of a ridge after the day of a losing battle. All the troops had come down to get ready to go up the next day and they left him up on top without realizing that he was still there. They thought everyone was dead, so they retreated for the night. And as he crawled back to the edge of the ridge where he would climb down, he heard someone yelling for help. And without a weapon without any cover fire, without anyone knowing he was there. He said, Lord, help me. And he ran back and he rescued him. And he brought him and he lowered him down by repelling him on a rope. And as he did that, he heard someone else yelling for help. So he went back. And the United States Army says over the course of that evening, all by himself, he rescued 
and lowered a hundred men to safety who would live. And in the movie, you see him after each man, he's increasingly getting tired. And then at the end of the movie, they show an 80-plus-year-old Desmond Doss retelling the story in his own words. And he said, I would run and get a man, and I would lower him down, and I would think about quitting. But he said, then I'd clutch that Bible as I heard men yelling. And I would pray, Lord, help me get one more. Lord, help me get one more. And he said, I'd go and I'd get one more and I'd lower him down. And before I could go down the ridge, I prayed, Lord, let me get one more. And he said, I prayed that prayer all night long until the sun came up and they sent someone up to get me as they saw these bodies being lowered and they realized somebody is still up there rescuing people. We have to help them. Lord, let me get one more. Lord, let me get one more. What if every Christian in the in this Christmas season, thought that spiritually. Lord, let us get one more person to come into your kingdom. Lord, let us bring one more person to the manger. Lord, I've got one more person in my life who doesn't know you yet. Lord, help me get one more. What if every Christian would think that way? What would our world look like if this Christmas season every Christian had the thought, Lord, let me get one more. Lord, let me invite one more. Lord, let me rescue one more. Let me bring one more to the manger, Lord, and just see what they want to do with the story that Christmas is God's desire to connect to the world. Lord, let me get one more. We've had an unbelievable year at our church. We we built our first building. We've seen hundreds and hundreds of people reach with the gospel. We've baptized more than we've ever baptized. It's been an unbelievable year. But as I look at Christmas week, the last week of our spiritual calendar, I think, Lord, let us get one more. We've got six Christmas services, Lord. We've got six times to tell a world who may not know that Jesus was born for them, that he was born for them, and he'd like to have a relationship with them, Lord. Friday night at 6 and 8, Lord. Saturday at 2, 4, 6 and 8, Lord, let us get one more. Let us get one more that your kingdom may come and your will be done on earth as it'll be in heaven. Lord, help us get one more. I'm going to ask you to pray that with me this week. And I'm going to ask you to attempt to do three things. One, begin to pray specifically who you'll invite. Begin to pray about the person that as you look in your life needs Jesus and doesn't even know it because they're so busy in life. Two, I want you to give them an invite card with what service you'll attend and ask them to invite with you. And then three, post a social media invite if you have that with emphasis to people with no family in town. There's someone who won't go to church this year because their husband died. And every year at Christmas, they go with their husband. And unless you invite them and sit with them, they're not going to go. There's somebody who won't go to church this year because their marriage separated. And they've never gone to church at Christmas before without their family. So they need you to be their family. There's someone who moved to Kansas City this year who won't go to Christmas Eve services this year because they don't have anyone in town to go with. You can invite that person to go with you this year. We've got to begin focusing on people who need spiritual family and being, we've got to be willing to become that. You know, let me ask you these questions as we close this morning. Who's your angel? Say, what do you mean by that? Who's the person that interrupted your life for the very first time and said, hey, 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 a savior's been born and you've got to check it out. Who's your angel? Who's the person that at some point stepped into your life and said, hey, 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 a savior's been born. You've got to check this out and introduced you to Jesus. Can you imagine your life without them in it? Who's your shepherd? So what do you mean by that? 
Who's the person that this entire week will go by and they'll be so busy watching their flocks? They'll be so busy just doing their thing that they never stop to know that Jesus came for them. Who's your shepherd? And are we going to let them just keep living life, serving everyone else without ever connecting spiritually and personally? And let me ask you this third question. Will you pray about becoming an angel to a shepherd this year? I mean, Luke chapter 2 is a story about angels telling shepherds about Jesus. It's history. But when Luke chapter 2 inspires us to become angels who tell shepherds about Jesus, it becomes future. And I believe that's why Luke wrote. So we would be encouraged to become angels to shepherds and interrupt somebody's week and say, hey, 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 a Savior has been born. I'm sure you didn't even know it. You've got to come check this out. Would you pray about doing that as we enter this Christmas week together? Would you pray with me, Father?